Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Hallelujah. Well, we are uh, we're in the book of Hebrews and uh, started last week. But uh, before we jump into it, we're gonna, you can go ahead and go to chapter 1 and, and uh, verse 3. But uh, I've got a couple of things we need to uh, um, do before that. And Miss Velma was telling me this story. He was giving me a testimony earlier, and I said, Miss Felmy, you have to share that with our church, and uh, would you do that tonight? She said, yes, I will. So can we give a big hand to the one, the only, Miss Velma Ring. Well, this is not about me, but it's about somebody in my family, mine and William's family. We have a cousin that we grew up with. I know the feeling. Yeah. Cousin that we grew up with. <laughs> I don't guess I'll, guess I'll get out of it. But anyway, we lived across the street from each other, and he went into the Navy, and when he went into the Navy, he started drinking. And so when he came out, well, he would drink just an awful lot, and every time he would come to visit, he moved off, he'd come to visit. Well, he always get close to my dad. My dad was a man of God, and he'd always talk to him about the Lord. And he'd say, Bob, son, you need to get right with the Lord. And he said, I know, Uncle Jim. And he would just, the tears would just roll down his face. Hmm. And he always wanted to get with Dad. So anyway, he moved to Idaho, and we prayed for him for years. And, of course, my dad's been gone for a number of years. But he prayed for him all the time, and so we have prayed for him. And his sister lives in McKinney. So she told me one day, she, we just still got to pray for him. So he became an alcoholic and wasn't too far from his home. He had, there was a bar and I guess he was just completely an alcoholic. So he went into this bar and he would go there every night. So he kept going in there and he looked on the end of the bar and there was a Bible there. So he kept going back. Finally, one night he asked the bartender, he said, who does that Bible belong to? And he said, I have no clue. He said, do you want it? He said, yes, I do. So he took that Bible home, and I guess he got right with the Lord when he got it home and started reading it, and he called his sister, and he said, sis, I want to tell you, you have a brand-new brother. He said, I have given my heart to the Lord, and he said, I'm reading my Bible all the time, and he said, you don't have to worry about me anymore. So about two months before that happened, this lady came in the bar, and she tapped him on the shoulder. She said, I just want you to know that you are loved. And he looked at her, and he said, okay. So she turned around and walked out. So he looked at the bartender, and he said, who was that lady? He said, what lady? He said, I don't know any, there's not been a lady in here at all, not since I've been in here. And that kind of scared him. So, of course, he, after that, he kind of, he told his sister about it. And so we just believe that the Lord had him. We prayed for him for so many years, and God does answer our prayer. Yes. And he had, yes. so, shortly after that, he had an aneurysm. And this, he had dated this lady. He wasn't married. He had this lady friend that he had dated. Well, she lived in a, another apartment complex, and he lived in one. And so, anyway... He had an aneurysm, so he called his sister, 
She said, well, brother, I'm so sorry that I can't be there with you. You'll be alone. He said, no, I won't be alone. He said, Jesus is with me. And he said, he'll be with me through all of this. So this lady kept in touch. So then it wasn't many months after that. Well, it was quite a few months. He had a stroke. And these, this lady and her sister called my cousin and said, don't worry about him. He, she said, we're go- moving in with him. We're going to take care of him because he can't do anything for himself. So don't worry about him. We're going to take care of him. We'll take care of the funeral arrangements when it comes and all of them. So we just know that God. So I told Alma when he got saved, I said, well, maybe he'll go to a little Baptist church there close by because she goes to the Baptist. She said, no, if he went to church, he would go to what we call a holiness church. <laughs> and I said, well, that's wonderful. I, don't, I said, my daddy had an impact on him, and then we all kept praying for him. So I just, I thought about this. Somebody said something about a bar the other day, witnessing at a bar. And so it wasn't anybody other than the Holy Bible that witnessed to him and that angel that came in. So I just, I just thought about this and I had to tell pastor about it tonight. But anyway, we're so thankful for that. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Praise God. Amen. That's good. Keep praying. Keep praying for your, for your loved ones. Keep praying for them. They need somebody standing there praying and believing God. And it could be years down the road before you see the fruit. But don't give up. My mother prayed for my grandfather, for her dad, for years and years and years and years. And it wasn't until his final days in the hospital that he surrendered his life to Christ and went on to be with Jesus. So you just got to stay vigilant and believe, believe in the power of prayer. Believe in the power of praying by faith, not just prayer itself, but the right kind of prayer. Amen. Thank you for sharing that with us, Ms. Velma. It's just an, uh, another reminder of the great hope that we have in our God and how much He, what He's willing to do to reach people and to love them and to get the gospel to them. Hallelujah. All right. Let's take our Bibles. Have you we, we found Hebrews chapter 1? Hopefully by now you found it. Verse 3, who being bright in the brightness, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power, word of his power. Notice we talked a little bit about this last week that doesn't say by the power of his word, but it says the word of his power. He's upholding all things by the word of his power, which means the word of his power means that the word is the expression of his power. All right. It is the expression of his power. You, uh, it, his power put into words. The word, uh, uh, the word of God is the, it's the focus, if you will. It's the, it's the release. It's the, and the destination of his power. It's the focus. It's the release, and it's the destination of his power. That's what his word is. It takes his power and puts it into words, and so those words are, subst- are the substance or the building material for what you are confessing. This is powerful. God said, he spoke, light be, and light was. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and faith and your words are, are directly connected because 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, uh, as uh, we, we believe and therefore speak, as it is written, uh, we also have in the same spirit of faith, as it is written, uh, I believe and therefore have I, 
spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. So the spirit of faith is a believing and speaking. Paul said it like this, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's why we, have, we need to get the word of God in our mouths on a regular basis so that we can experience that power. That power is not meant to just be kept all to God. He's given us these words that contain that power, that release that power, and glory to God, so that, and manifest his power so that we can live in the experience of that mighty, mighty word. Amen. Uh, let's go down to verse 4. Having become so much better, say better. Yeah. Having become so much better than the angels. This is talking about Jesus. Now the theme of this, this marvelous book of Hebrews, you, if you could boil it down to one word, it would certainly be the word better. All right? It's, the word better is mentioned 12 times throughout this book. And I mean, all the way through it. And it, it, everything that pertains to Jesus and this new covenant is better. Better, meaning more useful, more serviceable, more advantageous, and more excellent. That's glorious. Having become so much better than the angels, what it says of, of Jesus, more useful than the angels, more serviceable than the angels, more advantageous than the angels, more excellent. And he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, the angels are pretty awesome beings in and of themselves. I mean, God created these marvelous, marvelous beings. And there's a purpose to them. Part of that purpose is for, to worship him and to, and to speak of his holiness. You know, the scripture says that, and if you read the book of Revelation, that there are angels that fly around the throne and are constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And so they're always there to, to glorify this great God. And, to, and, 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 and all throughout the scripture, we see angelic visitations here on the earth. And the scripture even talks about how like the, that the, the old covenant was, was delivered by angels to Moses. And I don't know, understand how all that works, but I just know they were involved in the law and the giving of the law. All right? They were assisting that way. Um, now, I was doing a little study in a, a, a Bible called Dake's Study Bible. And uh, I don't read it all the time, but there are some really good notes in that Bible if you're ever interested in that. So, uh, but he talks about, from this point, from this scripture here, he says that, that Jesus obtained uh, his great name, three ways he, he obtained his great name. One is seen right here in, in Hebrews 1.4, by inheritance. By inheritance, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Another way that Jesus received his great name uh, was in Matthew 1 and verse 21 that says, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name means deliverer. It's actually Joshua, but through Greek transliteration, it was Jesus. Uh, and so then he not only received this great name by inheritance, but there it shows us from Matthew that he received it by birth. And then uh, the third place is by his achievements, by his achievements. In, in Philippians chapter 2, I'll just read this, this to you, these few verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. See, by what he did, therefore, by, by what Jesus accomplished, God has given him this name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let's go down to verse 5 of Hebrews 1. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? Now, it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews here is going to go through a list of Old Testament scriptures that point to Christ, all right? And I'm just going to give those references to you. I'm not going to read them because basically they're word for word from, this, from Hebrews. But I'll, if you want to study these things out, I'll, I'll give you the references and you can take notes and then look at them later. But right here, this is, this is found in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Psalms chapter 2 and verse 7 is this, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now I think it's interesting. If Jesus has always been, has he always been? Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always been eternal Godhead. If he's always been, this, this used to puzzle me why it says, Today I have begotten you, meaning that there was some kind of beginning to this Jesus. Right? And we know the way Isaiah describes Jesus, that he is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. That calls Jesus everlasting Father. I, I thought God, his Father, was the Father. But this says that he's the everlasting Father. And if you look that up in the Hebrew, it actually means the originator of eternity. So before eternity was... <laughs> yeah. Did you just bust a spring too? If, if before he is the originator of eternity. So he's been around a long time. Before everlasting was ever here, he was here. All right? The originator of eternity. So how does this, how does this come to being then where it says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. I see things like that. I start asking questions. Why does it say it like that? I want you to take your Bible and jump over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Lick your finger because we're going to flip around a little bit. Like a fish out of water. Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. They've come to Jerusalem and they've, they've come to the temple uh, and they've heard the reading of the word. And then the, the ruler of the synagogue said, men, if you have anything to say, Say on. And so he and Barnabas began to speak, and well, Paul began to preach. In Acts chapter 13, verse 33, he gets to this place. This place. And I'll start reading here then. God has fulfilled this. He says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, bless you, today I have begotten you. Did you see that? When 
did that mean? When did that have meaning? Today I've begotten you. Look what he says. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. And it was at that moment that that declaration from God was fulfilled. Today, when Jesus was raised from the dead, that was the day he was begotten of God. Watch. Now see, the natural end, the natural end to the life of sons of men is what? Death. Right? That's the natural end to being a son of man, or as Aslan said, sons of Adam. To being sons of men is death. That's, that's the natural That's the natural course of life. We, we're born, we live, we die. But there is no end. This is so good. There is no end to the life of being a son of God. How do sons of God die? Doesn't happen. Sons of men, yeah. Or sons of Adam, because Adam died, all men die. Jesus proved he was not only the son of man, and he was because he was born of a virgin, born of a woman. He not only proved that he was a son of man by dying, but he also proved he was the son of God by rising from the dead. Never to die again. This is awesome. So 1 Corinthians 4.15, let's turn over there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. You are my son. Today I've begotten. We know that that came to pass when God raised Jesus from the dead. Now look what the Apostle Paul says. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, say in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you. The same word begotten is the same word begotten uh, from, from this psalm, okay? It's the same word. I have begotten you through the gospel. So you, Jesus was begotten at resurrection of God. You were begotten through the gospel that declares his resurrection, that declares his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Galatians says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're not just subject to being sons of men now. Glory to God. Now, in Christ Jesus, because you believe the gospel, now you get the everlasting life that sons of God get. At one time, he was the only son of God, but no longer. Now the scripture says he's the firstborn from the dead, and he's the firstborn among many brethren. Ensuring to you and I that since he got up from the grave, you absolutely will get up from the grave. Because the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you. And when God sowed a seed called a son, that seed reaped many sons. All right, let me just remind us. Go to John chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 20. John chapter 12 and verse 20. I'm veering off my notes for just a second, but I just want to look at this and remind you again of this beautiful truth. 
John chapter 12, verse 1. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Verse 21, we're going to go through 27 or so, I think. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. All right, who's asking to see Jesus? Greeks, otherwise known as Gentiles, otherwise known as people that had no right to talk to Jesus. All right? They came to see Philip. Uh, now watch, uh, verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. 23, so what are they telling Jesus? Thank you, honey. Gold star for Heather Joe. The Greeks want to talk to you. But Jesus answered them and said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or much of the same kind, right? Because the seed produces after its kind. Verse 25. Oh, no, 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 that was it. It was, it was 24. So, so Jesus says, he starts talking about him being glorified. He's speaking of his death that's about to come, right? And so then he gives us... A, uh, an analogy. He gives us a little parable and, and says, this <clears throat> grain of wheat, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it does, it produces much grain. In other words, he said, I'm the seed. I'm the grain that's going into the ground. But when I die, I'm going to produce much grain. Much of the same thing. So when God sowed this seed called the sun, and because the seed has to produce after its own kind, it has to produce after its own kind. God did not have a crop failure here. He reaped many sons. That's why we have to think way above slaves to God mentality or employees in the kingdom mentality. You are far above that. You are sons of God. In other words, you have the same favor upon you that Jesus did. You have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus did. You have the same standing with God as Jesus does because the scripture says that where he's seated, you're seated there with him. Yeah. Same. You're just as much a son of God as Jesus himself. He's no more a son than you are. That's a powerful thought. The seed has to produce after its kind. But the enemy is going to do everything he can to question your sonship, make you question it, make you doubt it, make you wonder about it. But don't, don't forget, he did the very same thing to Jesus. What's the first thing he said to him out in the desert? If you are the son of God. Right? He's still asking that question. And Jesus overcame him in a way to teach you that you can overcome the same way. Quote the word. Quote the word. It is written. All right. We've got to get back to this. Oh, verse 5, the second half of verse 5 of Hebrews 1. And again, I will be to him a father. So this is what God is saying of the son, right? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now you can write this reference down, 2 Samuel 7, 14. That's where that quote is from, all right? That's what he's quoting. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And what that is, is God speaking to Nathan the prophet to give this message to David. Because remember, David said, how is it that I dwell in a house of cedar and God dwells in a tent? I want to build God a house. And it so touched God's heart 
that he began to, he went to the prophet, told the prophet what to tell David. And this is one of the things, it's so precious. One of the things, one of the things he said is, I took you from the sheepfold. And in other words, God was watching this shepherd boy out, boy out there. He said, and there was a time I took you from there and had you anointed king. And then he says this, and he, <clears throat> and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6, and really speaking of Jesus here as well as, as David. He's talking to David on one level, but we know that Jesus is the son of David. The great king's greater son. But when he again brings, verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Let all the angels of God worship him. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 43. Now, you're not going to find it if you just read, your, your, uh, read it in your Bible. You have to actually look a little deeper because they say there was a fragment of the Dead Sea Scrolls of the Greek Septuagint where, where this is found uh, let, this is added to it, a fragment to 32, 43 of Deuteronomy. Uh, let all the angels of God worship him. We also see uh, part of it in Psalm chapter 90. Read all the 90s, you'll come across it somewhere. 97, Psalm 97. Steve, thank you, scholar. But I like this one in Luke chapter 2. We see this happening. Luke chapter 2 and... Uh, Along verse, uh, along verse 8 or so, it's, uh, it's the Christmas stories. And there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field and uh, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they, the King James says they were sore afraid. You ever been so afraid it made you sore? <laughs> they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then the scripture says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. They all had to show up at this event. Let all the angels worship him. And uh, that, one angel, that one angel showed up to give the message, and the other angel said, no, we got to get on this too. Oh, the sky was suddenly lit up with angelic activity to these dirty, dusty, dark, danky. dregs <laughs> called shepherds. Verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire? Who makes his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire? Do you see this? His ministers are a servant. So the, this teaches us that angels are not sons, like individual sons. In a company, I think they might have been called sons of God, but they're not, they're not individually sons of God, all right, uh, like you and I are. And the angel says, who makes his, and of the angels says, who makes his angels, spirits and his ministers, a flame of fire. They are servants, and we're going to see a little bit more of that down in this chapter. Verse 8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. See that? God says to his Son, your throne, O God. If, you, if anybody here has a question about Jesus being God, it just got fixed. 
He says to the Son, your throne, O God. Now, uh, if, we, if I have any Jehovah's Witness friends here tonight, I kind of doubt I do. But just in case you're here and uh, your cult leader um, <laughs> did a new, trans, new world translation of the scriptures where he, every reference to Jesus being God, he made it into a little G instead of a big G because they do not believe that Jesus is God, which means they don't believe the gospel. So, but one place, they missed it. It wasn't here. They missed the spot where Thomas comes to Jesus after his resurrection and Jesus tells Thomas, put your, thrust your hand in my side. Don't be unbelieving, Thomas. But when Thomas hit his knees and said, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus is not God, he has to at that point say, hey, easy, buddy. I'm not God. I'm just a man. Because we see the disciples do that, right? As they worship them as gods and they're tearing their clothes off. No, I'm not God. Stop, please get up. But Jesus says, this is what Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. And Tom, Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. All right. So my dad was, was, was talking to a Jehovah's Witness lady one time who'd come up to the house and he took her New World Translation cult Bible and showed her in her own Bible where Jesus is seen as God. And after he shows her the scriptures, she's kind of frowning at it. And she says, well, how do you know that Thomas wasn't just saying, well, my Lord and my God. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> yeah, I forgot Jesus was from the deep south, or Thomas was, yeah. <laughs> and spoke slang. All right. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. So Jesus is God, but Jesus has a God too. <laughs> right? His Father is his God. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. This is glorious. With the oil of gladness, more than your companions. You can find that in Psalm chapter 45, verses 6 through 7. I recommend reading that whole chapter. I love the way Psalm 45 opens up. It's one of my favorites. It says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Glorious. And, verse 10, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Whoa. Jesus is the one that did all this creating, isn't it? You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the... Remember, he's talking to the sun here. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like some people in this room. I'm just kidding. Like a garment... <laughs> Verse 12, like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. Once again, we find this reference from the book of Psalms, chapter 102, verses 25 through 27. Psalm 1, I reckon the writer of Hebrews knew a little bit about Psalms. 
But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? So he's talking to them. Remember, he talked to them first, the first couple of three verses about Jesus' preeminence over the prophets. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to us by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. In other words, Jesus is the final answer. He's the final thing God wants to say to us. There is nothing after him. Amen. All those prophets were pointing to him. He's it. He's the substance of everything God wants us to know and to experience in him. And now we've seen that he's far superior than the angels too. And the angels are fabulous beings. But he's far superior. Which, to which of the angels do you ever say, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Again, Psalms chapter 110 and verse 1. I'll make your enemies your footstool. Now this is a, a metaphor uh, just to give you a, a picture of what this means is that um, this was taken from the practice of conquerors who place their feet on the necks of their conquered enemies. So there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to put his feet up on all of his enemies' necks. Glory to God. And in one sense, he did do it while he was here on the earth at that crucifixion. Because remember what God told Eve? God told Eve right after her and uh, Adam, the serpent, were all busted. There they all still were standing there together and God showed up and he begins to talk about the consequences of their actions and he tells Eve that I will put enmity between your seed or telling the, telling the devil, I mean, telling the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. All right? And her seed would be Christ. His seed would be this thing called religion. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having a showdown with the, with the Jews. And uh, right, after, right after it says, and they, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, you shall know the truth and truth shall make you free. And then they said, we're already free. Abraham's our father. And they go into this whole argument with Jesus. And Jesus said, Abraham's not your father. If Abraham were your father, you would rejoice. You, you, you would accept me because Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And if God were your father, well, that's not possible. He's in, and then finally it culminates to this place where Jesus looks at them and says, you are of your father, the devil. For he was a murderer from the beginning. All right, this is the enmity. And so we see the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent standing right there and the enmity between them. The seed of the devil is religion. The seed of the woman was Jesus. Wow. Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he said he, thank you. Speaking of this, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. He will crush your head, you will bruise it. And we see a picture of this at Calvary as that cross came into the ground. Uh, Jesus was hanging from that cross. The cross thudded into that hole in the ground on top of this place called the hill of the skull. Right? So we see a picture of the, the serpent's head, the enemy's head being crushed with that cross down in the very top of it and then that nail coming through Jesus' foot, through his heel, his heel being bruised. 
you will, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Where are we? 14. Are they, speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So who are those that are going to inherit salvation? I think that's you. So you have angels standing ready to serve you. That's what this says. Then all the ministering spirits sent forth to minister or to serve for those who will inherit salvation. You need to get your angels to work. They're waiting on your word. They're waiting on your word. They're waiting on your word. My mother, well, let me just say this. It was, um, let's see, what year was this? I didn't even know you yet. Man, life was miserable before you came into my life. I mean, I thought it was good until I met you, and I realized how miserable it was. This was, this is 90, 1992, yeah. My parents had had a garage sale at their house out, I'll finish with this story, out in uh, West Texas, out in San Angelo. And uh, they had a garage sale on a Friday and Saturday. And then we went to church that Sunday, and I was uh, living with them at the time. And uh, so my mom, no, I wasn't. I wasn't living at home. No, I, was, I was living with my brother. Uh, and and this, this is why I remember this, because we were flat broke all the time. So we were always mooching off mom and dad. We might as well have lived there. We lived out in this little farmhouse outside of town and just barely made a lot of grilled cheese sandwiches. And every once in a while we'd say, Mom, we got to come, come home and eat some real food. And uh, <clears throat> so mom had had, uh, uh, she'd had this garage sale. And so she had this little tup. Tupperware with some money in it sitting on her dining room table at the house. She said, uh, go by the house and get some cash out of there. And uh, I said, awesome. So I went by their house and I, a friend of mine and I were going to go to lunch. So he's waiting out in the car and I opened the front door and there are men robbing my parents' house. And, and so it takes me a second to know what the heck's going on because I, I can see them back in the back and all of a sudden when they hear me open the door, man, I hear banging around and dropping stuff and and, and they take off out the back door, and then I realize, oh, we're being robbed. So I run back toward where they were because that was where my parents' bedroom was, and I knew where my dad's gun was. So I'll go retrieve his pistol, and so I head out the back door. I'm looking for these guys, and the way their back door went, it, it went out the back door, and there was a little breezeway that went into our garage, and then there was a door that went outside the, the gate. Well, I'm thinking as fast as everything went, they probably went to the garage to hide. So I'm in there, and I'm, I'm like Barney Fife in there. <laughs> like, I'm going to shoot. You better come out. <laughs> Don't make me put a bullet in here. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm tingling all over a feel this certain death is coming my way and, and I can't find them and, and sure enough they had, they had actually gone to the right out the gate and so it takes me a second to you know to finally come back to my senses and I go out to my friend I'm like dude you're not going to believe what happened 
And so I'm telling him, he's sitting in the car, he's like, I saw two guys running down the street right here. And I didn't know what to think of that, you know. Uh, so, so now I've got to tell my mom, and I mean, it was, anybody ever been robbed before? Like, you know, broken, that's like the, I mean, you're, you're so vulnerable feeling, right? Like they've just gone through all your stuff, you know, all your personal belongings, and, and they took some, some, uh, some of my mom, a lot of my mom's jewelry. But one of the things that I can remember my mom saying was when she got to the house, she just started walking around the house going, all right, angels, you got to go get my stuff. They stole it. I need you to bring it back. Uh, there's one thing in particular that I care about, and that was my great-grandmother's ring, and I need you to bring that ring back to me. Everything else you can replace. That's fine. I don't care. It just needs to come back to me, but I need that ring back. I just remember thinking, you are crazy. (laughs) And about two months later, by this point, all of this stuff started coming into my mom's life. You remember that, Jim? Remember that lady brought all those really expensive clothes over, these fur coats and all this stuff? Just felt compelled to bring all the, and some, I think some jewelry too. And I mean, this stuff just started coming in, right? We're all like, oh, maybe she's not so crazy after all. I mean, those angels went to work. And I'm walking out the side gate one day where those thieves had left. This is two months later, and I'm walking around, and I look down on the ground, and I see a ring. And I pick it up, and I went, huh, I guess they dropped that ring. Interesting. So I take it in the house, and my mom says, that's the one I was looking for. That was it. Her great-grandmother's ring right there in the dirt. These angels are ministering spirits for you, servants for you. Don't forget the advantage that you have when you've got heavenly hosts waiting on your command. Hallelujah. You might have stuff stolen from you, stuff taken. Tell them to go get it. All right? They're waiting on you. I just wonder sometimes, if, if don't think about it very often, if my angels are bored. Come on, man. Tell us to do something. Don't bore your angels. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word that stands the test of time. Lord, we thank you that your word is life to those who find it. And it's health to all their flesh. If you're here tonight and you're battling in any kind of, with any kind of health problem, I want you to just receive this right now. The Word of God is life to you, and it is health to all of your flesh. And I thank you right now, Lord, for your Word working mightily in these bodies in the name of Jesus. Every tissue, every cell, every fiber of their being, that it will operate and function at peak proficiency according to its created purpose in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing upon all these that are here tonight, Lord. Thank you, God, for their faithfulness, Lord, in in being here and in giving and in serving. Lord, I thank you that they are growing and they're being transformed into the image of your dear Son. They're going from glory to glory. They're going from strength to strength, from faith to faith. And I thank you, Father God, for your blessing upon them. I declare that, that you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways. Hallelujah. Thank you that all of their children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. Thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. 
No evil shall befall them. No plague shall come near their dwelling. I thank you, Lord, that a thousand may fall at their side and 10,000 at their right hand, but it shall not come near them. Thank you that they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. And as Isaiah said, you will keep them in perfect peace because their minds are stayed on you and they trust in you. I thank you that they go now in your blessing, that the blessing of Abraham is upon them, Lord. That is that you will bless them and they will be a blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.